Let us turn to the book of Exodus now for the continued ministry of the Word of God, for the preaching of the Word of God from Exodus in the 12th chapter. Stand together once more to hear not the Word of man, but the Word of the living God who wrote through holy men of old. In this case, it's Moses taken up in the 12th chapter, the 21st verse. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. Now it will come to pass when you come into the land when the Lord, that the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, they, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, and he and his servants, and all Egypt, all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Thus far, the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord God, as we continue in our worship, as we are assembled here before you, we do ask that you would bless us with the preaching of your word, open our eyes. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Give us a heart of understanding. That by your Spirit would you send forth your word with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. For we are but flesh. We are but men. And we are weak. Lord, take weak vessels and use them for your glory. Even, even your messenger whom you've appointed for this church at this time, Lord, equip and strengthen and fill our pastor. And give us ears ready to hear and hearts ready to obey. That in all these things, Christ should have the preeminence and be magnified in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we heard the record of the Lord giving instructions to Moses and Aaron. That's how the chapter opened. It was very specific instruction that he gave to Moses and Aaron as the leaders of the people. Uh, He gave them a, a calendar for the nation. Uh, From that time forward, their new year was to begin with a week-long feast of unleavened bread. 
were told to get all leaven out of the house for a whole week. There was to be no leaven found in the house. The feast was to begin then with a Passover meal to remember the events that were about to unfold in Egypt. A spotless male lamb or kid goat of a year or less was to be slaughtered, roasted over fire and eaten along with bread made without yeast and along with bitter herbs. For this very first Passover, the Lord commanded then that the blood of that lamb was to be captured in a, in a basin. We see that in the passage we just heard. And then it was to be sprinkled on the doorpost and the lentil. It's interesting. I was looking a little further at the, uh, the Hebrew language here. And one of the words uh, indicates the idea of a threshold. So that it may well be that if we properly understand the text that the whole door was to be circled with blood. For this house was to be sprinkled. And then the family was to stay in that house all night long. Let no one go out. We just heard that again. Why? Because the Lord was going to pass through the land of Egypt. And he was to strike dead the firstborn in every house that was not under the blood. Every house without the blood on the door. There would be death struck upon the firstborn. Now, this feast was so important that the Lord renewed instructions on it in Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. You know, three times, if the Lord speaks once, that should be enough. But we know sometimes the Lord speaks three times. There's four times that God has recounted that. Of course, Deuteronomy, it's to that next generation that uh, would have been very young or not even born. The Lord makes sure that... They know about the Passover, the history for it, and what they're to do. The Old Testament then records five times that the Passover was kept besides this one that we'll look at just in a little bit. Israel kept that Passover in the wilderness. It's recorded in Numbers 9. They kept it at Gilgal after Joshua led the nation into the Promised Land. They've crossed over the Jordan, and they kept the Passover. You can read about that in Joshua 5. There was a celebration when Hezekiah was king, Second Chronicles chapter 30, and another celebration with Josiah was king, Second Chronicles 35. I remember that one. Joshua. I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, Josiah was a faithful king. He died young, but we're told that that Passover, that there was not a Passover kept like that one since the days of Moses. They really kept the Passover. And it seems to be, the record seems to indicate that the keeping of the Passover fell out of favor. And they stopped doing it. But there's one more record. I told you there's five. There's a record after the remnant returns from Babylon. They kept a Passover. It's recorded in Ezra 6. The significance to us then is this event, the, the celebration of it, points to something. They're keeping the Passover, remembering what God did in their past when he brought them out of the house of slavery, out of the house of bondage. We even hear that language as God gives them the Ten Commandments then as a, a redeemed people, a people who have been shown the grace of God. They're to remember that. It points back to that. But the Passover points forward. It points forward to someone. For the lamb's blood was not sufficient but that lamb or the kid goat, it points to one who is greater. The Passover points to one who does something greater 
Remember the Lord's promise. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It was a marvelous thing that night to be in a house with blood on it and not perish. But as we also heard in um, 1 Corinthians moments ago, that the majority of them didn't believe. And they're buried out there in the deserts of the wilderness. Going through the Passover, uh, being under the blood of that lamb was not enough to redeem those people. And so the Passover points forward. Those covered with the blood of that lamb escaped destruction that night. But there's a destruction for sin. And the scripture teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Children, I avoided the word remission of sin. You, I'm sure maybe some of your parents don't understand that term. But what it's saying is there's no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And, and we all, like, Egypt, like in Egypt, are sinners. There is none righteous. No, not even one. For we have all gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him, that is on Christ, the iniquity of us all. Every one of us are sinners. And we will all be destroyed in that day of God's judgment, the final day of wrath, unless, aren't you glad that's in there? Unless we are under the blood of the Lamb. Not a fluffy, woolly, little four-hoofed critter, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners, the one who is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because of all the lambs and rams, all the sacrifices were not adequate. It's clearly that's the case because they had to keep doing it every morning and every evening, at evening sacrifice, at all the feasts that people were come bringing their sacrifices for sins and, and their peace offerings and again and again for year after year because those things were not adequate. But they pointed to one that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's on him the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. All of these things in the past were, they were types. Children, they, they were like signposts. On your way here this morning, you passed a lot of signs. And I imagine most of your children, you didn't even see them. You didn't see the signs. There's speed limit signs. There's no left turn signs. There's merging signs. All these signs, they, they don't, they're not the thing. They just point to the thing. They tell you what's to come, what the regulation is. And so it is all those things in the Old Testament. They were signs, and they were pointing to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the God-man, who would be crucified outside of Jerusalem. As we heard in John's gospel just months ago, they're all pointing to him. For as sinners, we must be under the blood of Jesus Christ. We must be sprinkled with that blood, for that blood alone can pay the sinner's debt. That blood alone can satisfy the justice of God. What we're going to hear this morning is how some were under the blood, the blood of little woolly creatures, and some were not. Isn't that amazing, children? Think about it. This night that we're looking at, some were under the blood of a lamb or a kid goat, and some were not. And did you hear what happened, children? Those who were not under blood, they were not in a house without blood in the door, the firstborn died. I'm looking out here. I know there's firstborn sons. I'm a firstborn son. 
and I know several of the others are as well. If we were in Egyptian households that night, there is one thing for certain. We would have died. And that certainty reminds us that at the end of the the end of time, at the end of our days when we breathe our last, at the great judgment seat, if we are not under blood, not of a kid or, of a, or a lamb, but under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will die. This, this event, this is a monumental signpost. This is a, a raised up beacon saying there's a greater day coming, and if you're not under the blood of Christ, you will die. Firstborn, lastborn, middleborn, male, female, that's what awaits you. Jesus Christ's blood alone can pay our debt and wash away our sins. And indeed, his blood, he washes us whiter than the driven snow. We're going to see some of that here in a couple months. I hope that every winter when the snow comes in, you know how winter is. It's, it's kind of ugly and gray and it's muddy and mucky. And then you have that first beautiful snow that covers all the ugly. I hope every time you see anything, it's a picture that's a, just a small picture pointing to what Christ's blood has done for us. All our ugliness, all our sin. We're going to use four main headings. You notice the structure of it. The Lord's Passover instructions given to his people. The Lord's Passover feast established for future generations. The Lord's people obey his command. And the Lord's final and fatal plague. Now remember, the Lord, all caps L, that is the covenant faithful Lord. That's the covenant faithful God. This is who we've been seeing. This is who Israel is being reminded that they belong to. This is the, the one God, the one true living God that Pharaoh's being introduced about. Remember at the outset he says, I don't know the Lord. Well, he's found out an awful lot about the Lord, hasn't he? The covenant faithful Lord of Israel is faithful. And he is way more powerful than Pharaoh. It is this Lord, if we were talking about. So we begin with the Lord's Passover instructions given to his people. We find this in the opening verses that we read, verses 21 through 23. Uh, Having Moses and Aaron, they've received clear instructions from God. Remember, back as this chapter opened, we're told, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. God's meeting with these two. These, this is, these are the prophets. Aaron will someday be the high priest. God's speaking to them. He's addressing to them the leaders what to say. And then we see in verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them. So there's this unfolding in God's good order. We see a structure in the church. We're going to see that more perfected as we get to chapter 18. But they already have elders. These are the leaders of the tribes and a portions of the tribe. And it's to them that Moses and Aaron speak. And they say, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to the number of your families. Well, these men are responsible over whole tribes. There's, there's thou, tens of thousands of just fighting men alone, never mind women and children This is a great host, but they were responsible to do what? Take Moses' instructions, which were from God, and give them to the people and to carry them out. And notice the instruction was for them to take the lambs, yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. Now, there's other things that are not recorded here. We hear specifically about the lamb. That's the focal point. But we are right, 
It is, we should clearly conclude that Moses passed on the other instructions. Pick the right size lamb or kid goat. Keep it from the 10th to the 14th day. Then it's to be killed. And then when killing it, you're to capture the blood, obviously, because you're going to do something with the blood. It was clearly communicated that the, the lamb was to be roasted over the fire and they didn't eat in whole. They eat the whole animal with unleavened bread and with the bitter herbs and to eat it in haste. These things were also passed on. And they were not to break any of the bones. And if there anything was left till morning, it was to be burned in the fire. This is the whole of God's commandment. And just because it's not reiterated here, we would be wrong to conclude, well, Moses didn't pass that on because what God commanded, Moses was to pass on. But where's the focus? It's on the lamb. They were all to eat with their sandals on and their belt on, girding up their loins and their staff in their hand. All of this would have been communicated to the people under their oversight. But here we see then with an enduring ordinance. This is given to the church of old as an enduring sacrament, a sacrament that is to be administered under the oversight of the elders. You ever notice that in reading this passage? I'll be honest with you, I miss that. It's the elders that this is given to. The elders are to oversee this in the tribes. The elders are to make sure that this is done right. They're the ones to go forth in doing it. No private Passover meals then. And just like today, there's no place for private Lord's Supper's observances. It's one of the problems that uh, we saw back during covid there's also a problem with so-called Seder meals. These are not lawful Passover observances because there's no elders of Israel. There's not any priest administering them. The sacraments of the Old Testament were replaced by Christ, and therefore they're fulfilled. The, 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 the priesthood of the, uh, the Levites was destroyed with the nation in the temple in 70 A.D. because the church had come in its fullness. Christ's work is completed. All that that was pointing to him was done. That's past. That's history. We're in the new covenant, and it's new covenant things that we engage in. Now let us take a no careful note of the, what Moses records here. There's very... Uh, specific instructions about one thing. I, you know, I, I listed the other things God told Moses that he would have relayed to the elders. But what he does focus on is on one thing. Notice what Moses, Moses focused on. I'm going to read from the end of uh, verse 21 and uh, down into verse 23. Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And then you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to, to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass by. The focus is on the blood. Those other, those other details, the other things were to be done, the, the specifics about the animal and, and the way they were to be dressed and everything, that's what was important. Now, hyssop was a, a, a bunch, a gathered in a bunch, and it would have been effective for this kind of sprinkling or, or brushing of the doorposts. And the hyssop had properties. I didn't know this, but hyssop had properties that would prevent the coagulation of the blood. That's what blood does. It would have kept it so that it could have been applied that way. 
God knew what he was doing. And, and you see later on in the Old Testament, the hyssop was used in various purification rites. And remember what David prayers, prays in his sin, uh, confession of sin in Psalm 51? Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. But it was the blood that the Lord was looking for that night. When he passed through the land, he wasn't looking how were the people dressed. Uh, he wasn't taking note of how speedily ate their meal. Was, did they get it done in 10 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever that time was to be. It was to be eaten in haste. God was not focused on that. All those things should have been obeyed. What was it that God was looking at? He was looking for the blood on the door. As he passed through the land to strike Israel, there was only one thing that really mattered and that would have stopped the destroyer from striking a house is the blood of the Lamb. Clearly, we can think of the end of the age. It was the Lord's promise that when he saw blood, that he would pass over that house and no death would come. Now, who was the destroyer that's mentioned here? Well, there's a lot of dispute, not, not a great deal of dispute, but it's in, amongst the commentators. It's, I think it's clearly this is the angel of the Lord. I don't know that we need to conclude it is the angel of the Lord that we hear spoken of in the Old Testament, but it was the Lord's angel, the Lord's messenger. It's that same sort of messenger, maybe the same particular angel, one of the archangels that King David saw when Israel was being punished for David's sin of numbering Israel when God had not commanded it. And he sees the, the destroying angel then set by God. We read about this in First Chronicles 21. And, of course, David makes a sacrifice, and he pleads with God, and God stops the destruction. But it's also the one that John writes about in the book of Revelation, these angels that go forth and pour out destruction upon the earth. They come from the Lord God. Children, I, I want to imagine, children, that you're listening to all of this. It's not the normal stuff of sermons, is it? Blood, death, sacrificing lambs, blood on door frames, destroying angels going through the whole country, firstborn in the house without blood, being struck down dead. I'm some of you, I know I, there's firstborn boys out here. I can imagine they're like, I hope you're alert. This, this is remarkable what's going on here. Does God have your attention? Even all of us, this before us, the whole land of Egypt, mind you, every house, this is but a small picture of what will happen at the end of the age. This is just a little foreshadowing when every man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before the great white throne of judgment with the Lord Jesus Christ seated upon it to judge every single person who has ever lived, you will be there, as will I. And every one of the people that will be assembled, all those assembled before that great white throne of judgment will be sinners. Everyone. No exceptions. And contrary to the popular belief, no one's going to be negotiating with the one seated on the throne. So we heard a couple of weeks ago, 
those who are not in Christ, they would be terrified, crying for the mountains, fall on them, to hide them from the face of the one who is seated there in splendor. Every one of those sinners who will be assembled there will justly deserve the wrath and punishment of God. They will, well, they will be justly deserving of, of Christ saying, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, uh, speaking to angels, heavenly messengers, and take and usher them and take them to the brink and cast them into the lake of fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for an eternity of the wrath of God. That would be just on God's part. And indeed, that's what's going to happen to many those who are not under the blood, those who are not washed with the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the only thing that will keep people from being sent to hell. For it is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. It is in Christ alone that we are justified. This is why Christ came into the world to die for sinners. He shed his blood for the cleansing of his people. He lived his life obediently so that his people would have a righteousness. He paid our debt and he gives us a righteous record so that we may have our place in heaven because we have faith in Christ alone. It's not by works that we've done. It's by faith in Christ alone. That's that glorious promise. Paul writes it twice. You might remember from Romans that whosoever, are you a whosoever? Every one of us are. But then there's a distinction. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And many never will. But what the scriptures revealed to us is there will be a great host who did because the spirit has worked in them. That's the promise God gave to Abraham, that he would have spiritual seed as numerous as the stars in the heaven, if anyone can count them. God alone can. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. There will be a great host who have called upon the name of the Lord because God has had mercy on them so that the work that Christ has accomplished was for them because God gave them to his son in eternity past and in the fullness of time, at the right time, God sent forth his spirit and he called those people himself you know what's I, I just marveled over this as you and i sit here right now if we're in christ if we're united to christ by faith we are as justified as the saints in heaven you're never more justified oh they're far more holy they're glorified and we have that to look forward to like john they say come quickly lord jesus comes but you're never more justified from then that moment you believe Christ's blood, his record, his work is yours because you're united to him. We see that pictured here in the text. Well, then secondly, we want to consider the, the Lord's Passover feast established for the future. We read in verses 24-27 that after Moses gave all the elders these instructions that they headed off to serve the people. They went as faithful elders to do their work. And Moses tells them something more. He says, then, this is something that's to endure. You shall observe, that is, keep this ordinance, this, this Passover meal that you should keep it forever. For God, what God was about to do in Egypt was so big, 
It was to be remembered forever. The Lord was about to finally and completely break hard-hearted Pharaoh. This tenth plague was to be so severe that Pharaoh was to be crushed and broken. The king of Egypt was going to wake up in the middle of the night and find out that his oldest son was dead. The heir to the throne, the one who was to reign after him, the one who was to assume these ridiculous and outrageous claims of becoming a god in Egypt was dead. Pharaoh could do nothing about it. His son was dead. The Lord God then was giving to the church of old a sacrament, another sacrament. They had the sacrament of circumcision, and now he's going to give them a meal, a Passover meal that would distinguish them from all the other nations, that annually they were to observe this. In verse 25 we read, And it shall come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you, just as he has promised, that you shall keep this service. That's the meal, the Passover meal. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? What are we doing these things for? Why, why are these things involved? What, what's going on here, Father? We're asking their elders that you shall say it is a Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. God gave them a sacramental meal for the old covenant people. It was a meal to be done annually to remember God's covenant faithfulness, but to teach their children, to instruct them. From the earliest years, you can imagine a father, you know, when a child comes of age, instructing and explaining. And as they get older, they're thinking about it more and they have more questions. Answer those questions. Instructions about the years of slavery and bondage. Oh, my child, you have no idea what it was like. When I was a little boy, I began making bricks as soon as I was old enough to walk. I was beaten because I didn't do enough. I was so oppressed. But God... My son, but God delivered us. You, you know nothing of this, my son. God has done this. And, and it was through a, a spotless lamb that was selected and the blood was put on the door. There was shedding of blood and death and destruction came upon the Egyptians. And, and God provided and protected us and he brought us out and he's given us this meal that we're to remember it forever. Notice the word forever. I've got a comment on this. I remember in seminary class we, we were... This question was put to us. Does forever mean forever? Well, the answer kind of goes like, well, it depends. I mean, there's some forevers that are absolutely forever, but there's some that have the meaning until they're fulfilled. And this is one of those. This is a forever. It's forever until the Lord fulfills its purpose, until the Lord replaces it. And he did. He replaced circumcision with baptism and the Passover with the Lord's Supper. Both of those point back to what God had done, but now the Lord has given us meals that, I mean, they point, those things pointed to what God had done and what Lord God was going to do, and now we have meals, we're looking back to what he's accomplished, and yet we're still looking forward, aren't we? They both serve in that way, but they differ. Our catechism deals with this well. I'm not going to quote the catechism here, but when God fulfilled circumcision, what the first circumcision pictured, the cutting off of the uncleanness, God even through a prophet says, circumcise your hearts and not the flesh of your foreskin. 
It was about removing the uncleanness. Well, when Christ came and shed his blood, that was no longer necessary. No more needing the shedding of blood, pointing to blood, because the blood that was all sufficient has been said. And so now we have a picture of what the Holy Spirit was always doing with water being sprinkled down, the Spirit coming down from above and washing the people of God. Likewise, forever, for the ordinance of the Passover, commemorated, reminded the Hebrews of something important God had done. But in the fullness of time, the Lamb of God came forth, born of a woman, born under the law, came into the world to save sinners from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, not just Jews. Jesus shed his blood once for all, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and no other sacrifice remains. That's some of what the Hebrews were caught up in. That's why the book of Hebrews, that's one of the main themes. There, there remains no other sacrifice. Christ is that sacrifice. No other is needed. No more killing of little lambs for Passover meals. Jesus is appointed on the same night in which he was betrayed. He ate the last Passover meal that had any legitimacy, and he instituted the new meal for the new covenant people of God, even the Lord's Supper. The Passover meal pointed to the Lamb of God, but once he's been crucified, we have the meal. I even set before us to remember the once for all sacrifice. There's no flesh here. There's no blood here. That blood was shed once for all. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain, and we remember and we commemorate Circumcision to Passover were forever until their purpose was fulfilled. Then it happened that when Jesus came, baptism of the Lord's Supper are forever until Jesus comes again because in the new heavens and the new earth, these two will be superseded. We're going to sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We'll no longer be doing these things to remind us of Christ because we will behold him as he is. And we will see him as he is and we shall be like him. We will be without sin. We will be glorified. And this, this sacrament, it's a means of grace to sustain us by faith in Christ until he comes will no longer be necessary because hope is fulfilled and faith will be realized in what we see and we will be blessed forever. And thus, Paul writes, and the greatest of the three is love. parents as an application we celebrate the communion weekly are you engaging with your children talking about what it means are you instructing them are you explaining these things to them do you talk to them about how Christ died as judgment for sin and, and that he alone is sufficient that he's a redeemer there's something unique about it that his blood was shed and no other blood needed to be shed. Fathers, are you tr tr teaching your children these things? And do you remind them that they too are sinners in need of a Redeemer? Let me just ask you one more question. Will you be present at the wedding feast of the Lamb? Thirdly, the Lord's people obeyed his command. We're moving more quickly now. The elders were instructed by Moses and Aaron. It's clear that they went out and instructed the people. They led them what the Lord had commanded. And then look how they responded. Look at the end of verse 27. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. 
the people were respectful of their elders because they were bringing a message from God and they recognized that they were respectful. God was working in their midst. And then what followed? Then they obeyed the command of the Lord. So they were respectful and humbled and they worshiped and they obeyed the command of God. Notice the emphasis on on obedience. The children of Israel, verse 28, the children of Israel went away and did so. That gets the point across, doesn't it, that they obeyed. But Moses says more. They did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. These were submissive people. These were a willing people, ready to do as where they were commanded. And it's emphasized, oh, that that would be true of us always. Friends, every week we come together for worship and we hear the Lord's command. How often do we humble ourselves and worship after hearing the Lord's command? How often can we say that we went away and did so just as the Lord commanded, so we did? I'm sorry. I remember my old Baptist days. You know, Baptist preachers say, it's a good place for an old man, amen, right? And then there were sometimes it's like, this is a time for an oh me. You know, how often do we go away and did so just as the Lord commanded, so we did? Oh, woe are we, oh, wretched men that we are. Who shall deliver us from this body of death? As Jesus said, the final analysis, we are but poor and unprofitable servants. Indeed, how great is our need of Jesus. But thanks be to God. God has provided the Lamb, even the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we've been hearing about. All we need is to repent of our repenting. We need to come together week by week. So important to come week by week, not to absence ourselves from worship, because we forget that was an annual celebration. We have a weekly celebration. We forget. We lose sight of the big picture, and we come together. We encourage one another, and we confess our sins, and we're refreshed by the Word of God, and we come to the Lord's table, and we're fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we're reminded of His law, but then we're reminded of His grace. Our gracious Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful to meet with us. We bless His name. We go home rejoicing. And then we need to come again next week. Well, the fourth point, the Lord's final and fatal plague. I'm dealing with this so briefly. Isn't it remarkable when the plagues have come? Most of the time it's just like, it happens. You get into battles of Joshua, he records them. He has very little deal. It's like, went out and they won. God gave the victory. It's over. You see that here. Verse 29, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Not a lot of those left because of all the other plagues. So Pharaoh, even Pharaoh, rose in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a very great cry. I told you earlier when we talked about the cry of the Israelites to their God. This is the same word. This is a cry, but it's not a cry to their God. Maybe they are crying to their gods, but it's a crying out of despair and with no hope. When Israel cried out, they had the promises of God made to Abraham, their father, that he would deliver them. This is a cry of the ungodly and the unbelieving. It will be the cry at the end of the days of judgment when they will cry out, Oh, mountains fall on us. 
cover us up, hide us from the presence of this one with whom we have to do. We cannot stand the brilliance of his holiness. We are unclean and we have no hope. We have no savior. Oh, mountains, crush us, bury us and hide us. This is what we see with the cry of Pharaoh and his whole house in all of Egypt. Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt were utterly abased and humiliated before the one true and living God. What was the contest? Who's sovereign? Pharaoh thought he was. And now he knows with absolute certainty he is not. There's one sovereign. My friends, that is the message this generation in which we live needs to hear. It's what we need to believe. It's what should motivate us every day as we get up, no matter our afflictions, our suffering, our sorrows, our losses, our griefs, our expectations, our disappointments. God is sovereign. We sing it. Whatever my God ordains is right. And indeed it is. In the introduction I said, what we will hear this morning is how some will be under the blood and they will escape death. And there were others who were not under the blood. And death came to their households. And I conclude with a sober reminder, Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead and all those who are not under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will perish in hell forever. And that is a forever that is forever and ever without end. Let's pray. O oh God, may we be found in Christ. O oh God, array it, rouse and waken the hearts of those who are in the death and the stupor of sin and deliver them. Lord God, if there are your, your children here who have been wandering and wayward and self-deceived, caught up in the things of the world, Lord, arouse their conscience by your spirit, Lord, woo and bring them to you. May they know your love, your outstretched arms, like the father of the prodigal. May they know that the living God of heaven says, come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. Because you're in Christ and your sins are forgiven. Father, those who are dead in their hearts, Lord, may your spirit be at work to take that which is dead and arouse it and, 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 and not, not awaken it, but make it alive unto you in salvation. Oh, God, have mercy on sinners. God, while it is yet the day of salvation, have mercy on sinners. Oh, God, make the promises to our little ones that you would be their God, a reality, their God now and forevermore. We plead with you in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.